All right, so we're gonna start from the beginning. Hey everybody, Pastor Gary here again from the beginning. Thank you for the time that you so graciously gave to me and my family this past weekend. It was a good time to rest and refresh as a family. This week, we're going to continue in our look at the book of Philippians and more specifically, Paul's remedy for anxiety that runs through the entire book. Today's passage is not the norm for Paul, but is very informative nonetheless as to how it was that Paul and those around him were dealing with what was an anxious situation. Let's read through today's passage and then look closer at Paul's prescription for destroying anxiety. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you, and is distressed, because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ Jesus. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Like I said, this is not the normal passage for Paul. Why would Paul include what appears to be such mundane information? Paul typically places his travel information at the end of his letters, in fact. I believe that the reason that we find this odd bit of information that is usually left for Paul's concluding remarks is to provide an example of conduct that is worthy of the gospel of Christ, that Paul just asked us to walk in. Both Timothy and Epaphroditus have shown themselves as prime examples of what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus, as found in verse in chapter 1, verse 27, as well as looking not only to their own interests, but also to the interests of others, as found in chapter 2, verse 4. The passage divides easily into two paragraphs. The first is the example of why Paul will send Timothy, and the second is the example of why Paul is now sending Epaphroditus. Let's look at our first example, Timothy. Paul begins in verse 19, and he writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. So Paul says, Sooner rather than later, I will send Timothy to you. But not right now, for now Timothy will remain with Paul until, until he knows the results of his trial. Then Paul will send Timothy, with the intent that Timothy will return with good news from the Philippians. Paul is keeping Timothy with him because he is a help in troubled times for Paul. There is nothing better when things are going sideways in your life than a friend who will stand with you in the muck and the junk of life. In the next three verses, 
Paul is going to describe what it means to be a truly good friend to one who is in need. As we look at these next few verses, this is what I need each of us to do. Yet again, a personal evaluation. Are you a good friend? Are you the kind of friend God wants each of us to be who can be used in the hands of our Redeemer as an instrument of grace? Well, let's find out. So Paul writes in verse 20, describing Timothy, he says, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. The New King James Version translates it slightly different, and they write, For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. The phrase like-minded is much closer to the original Greek in this verse. Paul is echoing here his description earlier in the chapter of what it meant to have the mind of Jesus. Paul is saying that Timothy understands what it means to be united in spirit with other believers, both with Paul and with the Philippians. This is an echo of verse 2 from the same chapter, which reads, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. And as such, Timothy is a means of destroying Paul's anxiety in relation to the struggles that the Philippian church is having, because the two, Paul and Timothy, are of one mind. And so Paul knows that when he sends Timothy, that if the Philippians haven't sorted out their issues, Timothy will. Paul and Timothy had gone close to one another. This creates a shared life, which in, ten, ten, which in turn tends to create a shared mind, a oneness in thought, and usually in deed. This is one of the purposes that the church is meant to serve one another. We are called to be of one mind, so that we can and will encourage one another to walk worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul then writes in verse 21, For everyone looks out for his own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. Timothy stands apart from most in that he puts the interests of Jesus above his own and that of others. Just like Paul, who is more interested in the advancement of the gospel of Jesus than his own imprisonment, or that other believers were attempting to make things even more difficult for him. Timothy chooses, chooses to subordinate his own interests to those of Jesus. Just as Jesus chose to, obedi to be obedient rather than exploiting his position as God. Jesus is the perfect example of what a good friend looks like. A good friend subordinates their own interests first to the interests of Jesus and then for the interests of those with whom they live life daily. Finally, in verse 22, we read, But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Timothy has been tested in the difficult act of apostolic service, and both Paul and the Philippians have found Timothy to be as faithful as a son is to his own father. Timothy is willing to slave or serve in the work of the gospel. It may seem at odd at first to say that the best friends are those who are willing to be servants first to the gospel. But when one thinks beyond themselves, it truly makes sense. There is no friend greater than the one who will serve Jesus before he or she will serve you. Because in and while they are serving you, they are first serving Jesus. So when we think about these traits, it should come as no surprise that Paul intends to send Timothy only after he knows the final outcome of his imprisonment. 
It is completely understandable that Paul would seek to have Timothy at his side with believers surrounding him that sought their best interest first and others who sought to bring his downfall. Given the same circumstances, I have no doubt that every one of us would hope to have a friend just like Timothy to stand beside us, a good friend who will help us to battle the anxiety whenever it may come. But here's the real question. Are you that friend? So we have these three characteristics of Timothy. Well, what about Epaphroditus? Remember the Philippian church had sent Epaphroditus to deliver a monetary gift in order to help support Paul during his imprisonment, as well as to remain with him and to minister to his needs. But wait, Epaphroditus is now returning with a letter when he had been sent with the task of ministering to Paul during his imprisonment. Paul is now going to explain why it is that Epaphroditus has returned sooner than expected. Paul writes in verse 25, But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. First and most importantly is that this is Paul's decision. He felt it was necessary to send him back and he sends with him a truly amazing commendation. Paul calls him a brother, a fellow worker, and a fellow soldier. This is an amazing commendation from Paul. Anyone that knew Paul would know that Paul would never say anything that he did not truly mean. In fact, in Acts chapter 15, we have recorded a disagreement between Paul and Barnabas concerning whether or not Mark should travel with him. Paul does not want him to because he has not proven himself yet faithful to the work of the gospel. As a result, Paul and Barnabas actually split and went separate ways. Eventually, however, all would be made right and Paul and Mark will eventually come together as brothers and fellow workers. So this commendation for Epaphroditus is one that should be taken seriously by any who read it. We should also understand that Paul's desire was probably to keep Epaphroditus by his side, as well as Timothy. But Paul was led to the decision that what was best for everyone involved was that Epaphroditus return. In verse 26, we see the primary reason that Epaphroditus is returning. Paul writes, For he longs for all of you, and is distressed because you heard he was ill. This is not simply Epaphroditus missing his buddies. Paul uses the same term in describing his own desire, in fact, to return to the Philippians in verse 8. In the next verse, we find that Epaphroditus had become ill to the point of nearly dying, and he had endured this illness in order to complete the mission that the Philippian church had sent him on. The church in Philippi has somehow learned of the severity of his illness, and so Paul's compassion upon everyone involved has led him to the decision to send him home. I think that right now, in the circumstances in which we currently find ourselves, with the pandemic, many of us may have experienced a similar circumstance. I know that I have a friend who has not been physically well, and I deeply desire to see him and be able to minister him to him personally. However, because of COVID and his weakened immune system, I don't feel comfortable being around him. And I suspect that many of us have found ourselves in a similar situation in the past several months. And if you have, then you understand the level of care and compassion that Paul is extending towards the Philippians and Epaphroditus. Because of the severity of his illness, right now, 
they need the combined presence of the church to ease the anxiety that is certainly there. There is the longing for a separated deep friendship to be reunited, and that process of reuniting will be a means of destroying anxiety in all of their lives. I've moved a lot in my lifetime, and as a result, I have made friends that are very dear to me and now are scattered all over the world. And yes, there are times when, for whatever reason, God perhaps places them in the mind, in my mind. And I long for a chance to be reunited, to see that deep bond of friendship, of brotherhood, reignited. It is this that Epaphroditus and the church are longing for in each other. And so Paul blesses them with the opportunity to be reunited sooner rather than later. Paul continues in verse 27, and he writes, Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. This illness was not something that was a fleeting sneeze or cold. Whatever this was nearly killed Epaphroditus, and we should begin to see the affection that Paul has not only for Timothy, but for Epaphroditus as well. This is a brotherhood, a friendship that runs deep. It is most likely the reason that the church in Philippi chose to send Epaphroditus to Paul. Paul describes him as a brother, a fellow worker, and a fellow soldier. Paul can use this term brother for all of the church, but more often than not, he uses it with a nuance of affection, like one would typically hold for a close family member. He is also described as a fellow worker. They have labored side by side with one another in the work that Christ has given to the church. But it goes deeper than simply working side by side. You see, they have experienced spiritual warfare and more likely physical persecution together. And so Paul describes Epaphroditus as a fellow soldier in the work of Christ. They have stood shoulder to shoulder and their commitment to one another has been tested. Friendships grow slowly when things are going well. However, a friendship goes to the next level, you might say, when two people go through difficult times together. And they have come through those times as one. It is through these times that lifelong friendships are created and molded. It is these times that create for us the greatest blessings God has ever given to any of us. A friend in times of need. And so Paul writes in the next three verses, Therefore I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Paul eagerly sends him back to Philippi, knowing that his presence will help to ease the anxieties that many there are experiencing because of the distance and because of his illness. Paul's compassion for everyone involved has brought him to a point that he knows the anxiety that everyone is experiencing because of this illness and their separation. And so he decides to send Epaphroditus home with his blessing, in order that that anxiety might be eased. Sometimes we need to make decisions that may not seem like the best ones in the short term. However, those decisions are best long term. It may seem like a funny thing to say, but we must be willing to share our closest friends with others, just as Paul did with Epaphroditus. His remaining with Paul would have been a giant blessing to Paul. However, Paul realized that the best decision for everyone involved was for Epaphroditus to return home. Our best friends are good friends 
for a reason. And here's what you need to see. If we have the blessing to experience these amazing character traits when we're around them, so do others when they're around them as well. And so sometimes we're going to need to share our friends with others who are in need. When we do this, we will actually decrease the level of anxiety in their lives and in the lives of those they have opportunity to minister, but also within our lives as well, just as we saw with Paul. <clears throat> so what? What, or better yet, who is the greatest means by which we might see anxiety destroyed in our lives? One word. Friends. Our letter so far has presented us with two types of Christians. I wish I could say that these two types have become one somehow. That day will come, but it is not here yet. Early in our letter, we read about believers who were proclaiming Christ with fervor, with the hope of causing Paul greater anguish and pain. Why are they doing this? Who knows? Perhaps it's jealousy, anger, bad parenting, hurts they've experienced from the church. I don't know. They are believers in Jesus Christ. And one day we will see them sitting with Paul enjoying a meal set by Jesus. But today, today in our letter, they are a source of anxiety in the life of Paul. Today, just like then, we have individuals no different than these believers who, for whatever reason, proclaim Jesus not for the name and glory of Jesus, but for their own name and their own glory. They oftentimes bring up, perhaps, pastors with whom they disagree, not to protect the flock from heresy, but rather simply so that they can have a whipping boy for their sermons. This is not Jesus. This is not the gospel. This is not grace. How do we combat this anxiety that so many seek to actually create within the church? Friendship. It is our friends standing with us that will aid us in the battle that, seek, that these individuals seek to bring into our lives. And it is the greatest means by which we might combat them directly as well. You see, we need to become their friends. But the letter isn't really about these individuals. So I have two questions for you. First, do you have Christian men and women in your life who are friends like Timothy and Epaphroditus were friends to Paul? Throughout my life, because we have moved so much, I have had several men whom God sent to me to act as truly close friends, best friends. They were not simply friends, however. You see, I call them brothers. I grew up as an army brat, and we moved often. The only consistent friend that I had for the first half of my life was my brother Greg. Unfortunately, Greg's life was tragically cut short when he was far too young. The hole in the pain that that left behind was massive. But God... Just several months prior to Greg's death, Autumn and I began to attend a church in San Antonio, where I would live out this very passage. It was a fairly large church. I suspect that the men's ministry oftentimes had well over a hundred men in attendance every Wednesday. One of those evenings while I was sitting there, trying real hard to listen to the teaching, but was instead deeply mourning the loss of my brother, God moved me. He moved me to see through eyes stained by the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
I had lost my only brother, my only sibling at such a young age. Someone whom I had lived nearly my entire life side by side with. But these eyes began to see things differently. As I looked upon these men who were worshiping Jesus, I didn't see just a bunch of dudes learning what it meant to be men of God. I began to see brothers. I may have lost a brother, but in Christ Jesus, I had gained millions of brothers all across this world. And in that moment, my fathers in heaven began to heal me of the pain and suffering that I was experiencing. And that healing would come from these men. These men would embrace me and love on me like a brother. There were a handful that took special roles in my life, and we would become very close very quickly. But all of them in that room would be used by God to bring healing to my life in one way or another. These men were not merely acquaintances. They were friends. And we would bear with one another through sin, through spiritual warfare. We would bear together. We would labor together at the work of the gospel. And we would fight the fight for each other and become fellow warriors for Christ Jesus. These men would be used as God as a blessing in my life to destroy the anxiety that had been created by the loss of my brother. Once in a while, to this very day, like right now, I still feel that tinge of pain at my family's tragic loss, but I no longer experience the anxiety that was there. That anxiety has been destroyed. Do you have friends in your life like this? They're there. Men and women who have given their lives to Jesus and want nothing more than to be used by Jesus in your life as a friend. I know that there are people out there who might be saying, Gary, I don't even know how to begin to find friends like this. The answer is very simple. To find these friends, you must first become one. God has blessed you so that you might be a blessing to others. And when you bless others with friendship, God will then bless with you with their friendship in return. And God will use both of you as a means to destroy the anxiety that you both experience. So our second question, are you a good friend? First, do you take a genuine interest in the lives of those around you, or is it superficial? A good friend is one who cares deeply about the person's needs. Is that you? If not, why not? Second, and this might not seem like a required character trait for a truly good friend, but it definitely is. Do you put the interests of Jesus before the interests of your friends? If you do, you will say and do the hard things your friends need to hear and have done. If not, you will allow your friends to make foolish decisions that will simply bring greater anxiety. Is Jesus the Lord over your friendships? Third, are you serving Jesus shoulder to shoulder with others in some way to see the gospel of Jesus go forth into this world? There is something about working with others that simply draws us to one another. Are we doing this well? Finally, are you willing to see that friend be a friend to others? You cannot and must not be jealous for their friendship. God is blessing them beyond measure, not only for you, but for others as well. Do you encourage them to be friends with others 
so that that blessing might be experienced by others and that their anxiety might be destroyed as well? Can you send them off with joy as Paul does, knowing that there is a deeper blessing in store for everyone involved? All of this speaks of self-sacrificing love for one another, something that our culture honestly speaks against. Social media has simply amplified our sinful selfishness, all the while convincing us that we are somehow making more and more friends, when in the end, we truly have nothing. This is perhaps the greatest dupe that Satan has ever played on mankind. Look at all the friends that you have, and people pour hours and hours of their lives into social media, trying to gain more and more friends. Listen to me clearly. Friendship can only truly be lived out face to face. Everything else that is that this world is peddling is false. It is an illusion to keep you from building the real deal. We need to fight against this tendency. I use these platforms often. They're a great way to keep up with friends whom I have made face to face in the past, but are now separated from me by physical distance. Even still, I must guard against the illusion that these friendships continue this day just as they did in the past. It's hard for me to sit with someone who's a hundred miles away. I simply cannot. True anxiety destroying friendship can only be lived out face to face. Where are you investing your time right now? Who are you investing your time in right now? Are you even investing? Are you making positive emotional deposits into the lives of your friends? Or are you only making withdrawals? To have good friends, we must first become a good friend. Ask God to show you the areas in which you are weak in your commitment to being a good friend to others. He will show you. And when he does, ask him to empower you to change. And guess what? He will. Not for you, but to see the anxiety and others destroyed. God will bless you to be a blessing. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we are so deeply thankful that in creating the church, you have given us not only a group with which we might gather to worship and learn, but you have adopted us as sons and daughters. And through that adoption, you have given to each of us brothers and sisters. You have created for us an eternal family to serve, to serve with, and who will at times serve us as well. Lord Jesus, help each one of us to see the sin that gets in the way of being good friends to those whom you have called us to bless through our friendships. Help us that we might see those that need that blessing and continually bring into our lives others that might bless us through their friendship. Holy Spirit, empower us that we might proclaim boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ side by side with our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we might see our family expand beyond imagination, so that then through our ever-increasing family, we might be used by you as an instrument of grace in the hands of our Redeemer, as we say anxiety in others destroyed through our self-sacrificing love for our friends, our family, and our brothers and sisters in you. Amen and amen. And now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good 
for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.